Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Securing Bridges podcast. You're about to join Alyssa Miller as she sits down with senior and executive security leaders to share stories of success and failure while working across business teams. It's time to build and secure the bridge to the business. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. All right, everybody, welcome aboard once again. We are on episode five, I believe. You'll have to check me if I'm wrong on that, but that's what I think we are. We're back here at Securing Bridges. We are talking about how do we build a better message in security? How do we connect everything that we're trying to do from a cybersecurity perspective back to the business? Because at the end of the day, you know, they're kind of the reason we get paid. So if you haven't checked out any of these episodes so far, welcome aboard. For those of you that have been here before, super glad to have you back. And week five, we have yet another amazing guest. So um, I was joking with our next guest before the show about the fact that one of the reasons that I wanted him on is because he will call me on my crap more than anybody, which I love. So that's in addition to being amazingly intelligent and a super awesome person just in the community. Hey, I had to get somebody on here who's going to call me out and tell me when I'm wrong. And that person is none other than Jeff Mann. Hey, Jeff, how are you? I'm doing very well, uh, Alyssa. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me to your show. And uh, I'm in a grumpy mood this afternoon anyway, so fair warning. I'll try to, I'll try to be nice, but uh, I, you know, I'm grumpy about lots of things all the time anyway. And it's not just you. I'll, I'll, I'll call just about <laughs> anybody's crap out. Uh, and and I'd like to think that people are allowed to call me out uh, on my crap as well. It's, uh, you know, I try to be e- even keeled in, in that sense. And uh, so, yeah, here I am. Turn let's, about being let, fair play and all. Yeah, it makes sense. So very cool. Well, so let's start with, I mean, there might be like one or two people out there who haven't heard of you yet. I mean... I don't know how. I mean, come on. How do you how do you operate in security and not know who Jeff is? But just in case, can you just start off with a little little bit about you? We'd love to understand, uh, you know, what where your perspectives are coming from. Shall we say? Who am I and why am I here? Uh, a lot of people don't know who I am because I uh, I I suck at self promotion or I don't care. One of the two. Um, and it also depends which segment of uh, this thing that we call the cybersecurity world uh, you, you play in. Um, I happen to be, my daytime job happens to be as a, what's called a qualified security assessor, a QSA. So I work in that uh, three-letter field known as PCI. Uh, I've been doing that for as long as PCI has been around. Uh, but I'm, 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 uh, I'm not your average QSA, and and that's because I I had uh, over 20 years of experience in cybersecurity, and we didn't call it that back then, by the way, before I started doing the whole PCI thing. So uh, I've been in the business almost 40 years. So quickly, who am I? Where where do I come from? I'll try to be succinct. Um, 
born a hacker, always a hacker. Didn't realize that until a couple years ago. Uh, got into computer and network and internet security at the very beginning. I happened to be working for a DoD agency called NSA at the time. I am, uh, you know, my my claim to fame within the hacker community is I was part of the first what what came to be known as the the first NSA Red Team. Uh, I was sort of their business development manager. The you know. I don't take claim for starting it, but I certainly do uh, do claim that I was the one that sort of uh, made it a thing and 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 made it uh, you know tried to model it like uh, a practice. Uh, and and we had customers and we had services that we offered internally at first and within the DoD, uh, you know, by extension, and eventually you know to other uh, uh, agencies within the U.S. government. Um, so I, I was pen testing and doing ethical hacking is more like what we called it back then, almost 30 years ago. Um, I came out into the private sector uh, for, for many reasons uh, a little over 25 years ago. Uh, initially was helping companies as a security architect, still doing ethical hacking, pen testing. Back in those days, it was let us break into your network and tell you, we'll tell you where all the holes are so that you can close them up and start establishing something that in those days we called internet security, very much perimeter based, very much based on classic DOD military uh, ideas of defense, which you know has to do with castles and moats and walls and firewalls and things like that. Um, you know, so I did that for a couple of years, really got kind of disillusioned uh, with pen testing back around 2003 or so, a little bit before I got involved with PCI and frustrated with it because I had lots of clients that I would go into every six months, do the pen test and, you know, show them what their big issues, egregious here, you know, it was really easy to break into you and this is why and find out it wasn't fixed six months later, 12 months later and did a little bit of soul searching and thought, you know, there's, there's, there's gotta be a better way. It's, it's not working to just simply say, Hey, I got root, you know, I'm on, I'm, I'm you know, back in those days, it was mostly Unix systems. You know, I'm root on all your servers. I'm root on all your workstations. I've got the keys to the kingdom. I can do anything I want. And they're like, yeah, so what? Um, so I, I, I took it upon myself to try to figure out a different way to sort of crack the nut and try to get co companies and organizations to uh, appropriately care about security. Uh, and about that time, I stumbled upon uh, PCI. And uh, when I was first presented with the version 1.0 of the PCI data security standard, which was in the fall of 2004, uh, I was told, uh, you know, we're, here, read this. We're going to be doing it. Uh, we're going to be doing you know, assessing companies against this against this thing. And I read it and I'm like, yeah, this is pretty comprehensive. This covers about all the things that you should be doing from a, a technology and process and, and people perspective of security. Yeah, I, 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 you know, th this makes sense. I, I can make this work. And uh, over the years, I kind of used PCI and my position as a QSA to uh, get entree into companies and, and 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 get the attention of companies to do security and do it right. Uh, not not always did they understand it, but uh, and they certainly didn't understand security, yet alone PCI. But they knew they had to do it. And uh, what I tried to do is try to give them context and understanding and explain, you know, 
uh, you know, here's why you should be doing the things that PCI requires and how it all weaves together and works together and, and why it's not good enough just to check the box, as most people know PCI. Um, but make it make sense and make it reasonable so that organizations would be more likely to say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, we're doing a lot of that anyway. Uh, the real challenge with PCI, as with many compliance regimens, is is just proving that you're doing uh, the things that you're doing. Uh, of course, there's a lot of companies that aren't doing, and they and they spend a lot of time trying to to uh, you know sh move the shells around and and try to deflect and make you look uh, you know don't look behind that curtain type of thing. But uh, I ended up doing it for a long time, and and I, I love PCI as a framework. I, I hate PCI as a as a as an ecosystem because it it doesn't really uh, address the problems that you're claiming that you want to try to uh, address or, or at least discuss, uh, with your podcast, which is, you know, how do you take security to the masses? How do you make security make sense to organizations at all levels and all types of organizations in all sorts of different verticals and mark and markets and so forth? I, I sort of personally believe that, um, uh, you know, security like liberty is something that should be for all. You know, it should be available to all. And and uh, while PCI has has impacted our industry in probably more ways than uh, a lot of security hacker professionals would like to admit, uh, it also really addresses uh, only the one percent. And if I have a if I have a, a I have many pet peeves. If I'm honest, one of my pet peeves is that uh, most of our industry uh, primarily vendors, but often service companies and service providers and, and all of us experts that like to get together and talk about things, we tend to focus on the enterprise. And that's just that many companies out there. Um, uh, security doesn't change. Uh, version four of the PCI standard was just published last week and end of March. Um, it's still 12 major requirements. The, the overall structure of it hasn't changed. And the, and the 12 requirements are based on six security goals. And I would argue that they haven't changed. And they don't change regardless of what business you're in, what industry you're in, what technology you're employing, the advances of technology, so much more being done elsewhere in cloud and serverless and all, all this, you know, newfangled buzzwords that we have. And, and I'm, I'm an old timer. I'm grumpy. I'm a curmudgeon. Get off my lawn. Uh, but the fundamentals of security don't change. You have something you want to protect. You have secrets, you have uh, business operations that you want to keep going. Uh, you know, there's, there's people that want to do bad things to you. There's people that want to steal your data just to make money. They don't care if it's you or, but you know, if you're vulnerable and, and they can steal it from you, they will, if they can make money off of it, there's an element of security that just never changes. Uh, so that's me. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I did QSA for, uh, to round out who I am. I, I did QSA for a lot of years. Uh, I, I, uh, almost 10 years ago at this point, I, I was uh, 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 lured uh, into the vendor land. I went to work for a company called Tenable Network Security. They hired me as their PCI subject matter expert. And while I was there, they said, oh, by the way, we want you to go out and start speaking at conferences and kind of do the evangelism thing. So I got to, to meet uh, and work with cool people. Uh, like Jack Daniel and Space Rogue and Marcus Ranum, if, if anybody knows that name. We were the four evangelists at Tenable at the time. Uh, 
and uh, Jack Daniels really the one that kind of took me under his wing and and you know introduced me to the community. And of course, you know everybody knows Jack, and and now thanks to Jack, some people know me. Um, but I, I you know I, I found my own space, uh, and uh, I found people like to hear the stories of, uh, in many cases, before they were born, where some old guy was doing pen testing, and. Uh, you know, uh, there, there's value in the history again because the methodologies and the the essential elements of security don't change. So I do a lot of conference speaking. I a lot of I do a lot of uh, trying to network with people, mentor, teach. Uh, I've been involved with this other uh, podcast called Paul Security Weekly. Gosh, I've been doing that for eight years now. Um, and ironically, to sort of close out this opening segment, if we have any time left in the, in the podcast, <laughs> um, I, I, up until December, I, they, I had my own show over at the Security Weekly Network called Security and Compliance Weekly. And our logo was very similar to yours. It has a bridge. Our, our motto was we were trying to build bridges and tear down silos. We were trying to get the security world to talk together to the compliance world. Because uh, I, I, I live in both worlds. <laughs> I swear, any any relate. There's no relationship there. I swear to God, that was that is completely unintentional. But at the same time, awesome. So I mean, I'm like, here I'm sitting here. Like, so you went from three letter agency mm-hmm. to three letter industry, and <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't handle. I can't handle all, much more than close. three letters at a time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you haven't seen it all. You you've seen a bunch. I feel like you were looking at me too, and you talked about you know things that were going on before I was born. But I'm I'm Probably. a little older than that, but not by much. <laughs> um, but uh, no, and and it was at a conference that I first met you. That was God Gurkhan years ago. Yeah. Um, yep. But um, you know, so you have seen a lot. Right. And, you know, I, as we talked about a little bit before the show, you know, I was in financial services when Mm -hmm. PCI was really starting to become quote unquote a thing and saw the best and worst of it. Kind of the way you described, how did, how did we end up like PCI gets that bad rap, right? Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's that, Oh, it's, it's checkbox compliance. Is that because organizations approached it wrong? Is it because, PCI did it wrong? Is it because the vendors who are counted on to be a part of that ecosystem got it wrong? Where do you, where do you feel we kind of veered uh, that into? Is, is that D or E, all of the above? Um, <laughs> well, I, I think it's a couple things. Uh, and I and, and at some level, it's not unique to PCI. Uh, I, I see a big difference between PCI and other compliance standards. But for uh, you know, the benefit of our listening audience, uh, we can lump it together for at least a little while. Um, in the, yeah, I see things more from a, you know, I started in the DOD working for an organization where our actual business was information security. That's all we did. And oh, by the way, uh, we were the only game in town. If you wanted any kind of secure communications equipment, you came to NSA, at least if you were part of the, the DOD, the military, you know, State Department, anything that involves secrets. We we were and NSA is still, uh, you know, largely responsible for uh, the security of communications. May, you know, maybe that's changed now with DISA and CISA and all these other, you know, Department of Homeland Security. I left the government. I don't pay much attention to it, but. Uh, in the in the real world, in the private sector, 
uh, in the early days, uh, the companies that got it uh, are the ones that in the early days were most likely to suffer loss. And those were organizations that had to do with money. So obviously financial services and banks, uh, you know, got the education early. Uh, uh, not always because uh, they were doing it for the right reason. Very often it was uh, because they had suffered some sort of a loss. But in the early days, it was, uh, what are the bad guys going to do? They want to steal money. Uh, so let's protect it. And very closely tied to that was, uh, you know, stealing credit card information as a way to monetize things, uh, you know, because the bad guys were motivated to make money. Nowadays, you know, fast forward 30 years or so, uh, you know, it's all ransomware and, and uh, things like that, where, again, it's just a way to make money. They don't really care that they've knocked out a, a bank or a, a hospital or a school. They just found some some place that was vulnerable and they, uh, you know, they, they try to do their ransomware and get paid and, and move on. It's a business at, at some level. But I think what's the mistake is uh, several fold. One is organizations largely don't understand and, and don't have to do security for a, a lot of industries. PCI is, you know, for better or for worse, but one of the good things about it is it held a lot of companies' feet to the fire to say, no, you, you have to do security. If you're going to be dealing with our stuff, our, our credit cards, you're going to have to do this list of security standards and and have somebody come in and, and rate you on how well you're doing it. And by the way, it's 100% pass-fail. There is no grade in, in PCI, at least in theory. Um, but uh, because PCI has been so stringent, uh, one of the one of the struggles with it is uh, because it's so difficult to be a hundred percent. Companies figured out relatively early on that they can make PCI go away if they start segmenting and compartmenting and isolating uh, the systems in their networks that are subject to uh, uh, PCI assessment. Guilty now, charged. <laughs> yeah. yes, well, it. and it, it's a catch twenty two for me because the while I think the motivation is wrong, you you shouldn't dodge doing basic security. You should be able to stand up and show me that you're doing some of the basic things. But uh, in order for them to segment and declare, here's a small corner of our network, and that's uh, what in PCI speak is the cardholder data environment or the CDE. Uh, for you to be able to declare that, you have to show me all the network uh, diagrams. You have to show me data flows. I get to go around and talk to everybody and find out what all the business processes are that might possibly touch credit card information. And basically, you have to clean up your act. So the effective thing that was happening was people were reducing their footprint. All this data that was in a million different places in their organizations and on their networks and on there, it was in places that had no business being there. Um, it, it all got cleaned up and got reduced. In fact, a lot of companies figured out, oh, we don't we don't need to keep the credit card information at all. And if we do that, PCI mostly goes away. Woohoo, bonus. Now, what I hate about that is it, it concerns me because there isn't anything in the PCI data security standard, uh, any of the requirements that any company shouldn't be doing anyway, right. uh, with very few exceptions. Um, so that always concerns me, 
But from the perspective of you used to have 20 million cards in 13,000 locations in your network, and now you've reduced that down to one database in, in one enclave and one isolated network, you've made yourself more secure because you've, you've made it harder to, for a bad guy to get to the data. But um, sort of the natural evolution, though, uh, and I think, again, much related to PCI, uh, in the early days, the, the conventional wisdom, the attacker wants to find the database, the storage of all the mother load of credit card data from transactions. If you're a, you know, one of the early uh, um, uh, instances of compromise was like uh, TJ Maxx. They, got, they were breached back in mid-2000s. You know, 10, 20, 30 million dollar credit cards stolen. Um, the the bad guys found where they were stored and they went in and hauled them off. But even that that attacker, uh, that hacking ring that did that, they also hacked an organization uh, called Heartland Payment Systems. Heartland Payment Systems, they were doing more of what I would have called harvesting. They were they were getting it out piecemeal, trickling it out, and that's kind of where the the paradigm of the attack uh, method has shifted over the years. So like, you know, get, get into now 2013, 14, 15, where it was Target and Home Depot, they weren't finding the mother load. They were installing malware that was picking off the cards one at a time at the cash registers as the transactions were happening and, 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 you know, compiling them and then dumping them out, or they were, you know, ex exfiltrating them a little bit at a time. That's a very different paradigm. And that's a very different uh, thing that's harder to detect in terms of uh, hacker activity or, or, or breach activity. Um, and, and we, we struggle to keep up, I think, with the, with the paradigms, uh, you know, the attack methodologies, uh, you know, so fast forward today, uh, we're struggling as a, as a society to keep up with ransomware because so many companies are being hit by ran organizations, I should say, are being hit by ransomware that have been largely ignored by the industry because there's no money in it for them because they don't have the budgets because they're not enterprise, they're not financial services, they're not the banks, they're not insurance companies. They don't have these huge budgets. They're not the big retailers to do all the security things and buy all the products. They're municipalities, they're, uh, you know, struggling banks, hospitals, uh, medical centers and stuff like that, where there's no budget. So there's no security, at, you know, generalizing. Um, and there's really no way, nobody that wants to go after the, after that segment of the uh, of the of the world and try to help them because nobody's benevolent. Nobody nobody wants to do it. Uh, at the end of the day, we're all in this to make money, right? I mean, you know, we work for a company and we and we're for profit, so we have to make a business. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, "Yeah, I agree with what you're saying, Jeff," but there's no money in it, so we're not interested. No, that's legit. I mean, it did spin up some new business, right? I mean, we've now got these payment concentrators who, mm -hmm. you know, take on and, and proxy a lot of that payment activity for those small companies. So here, you don't have to get PCI compliant because you just right. farm off all your card transactions to us. We'll maintain compliance and you just pay us a fee to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, one of the things I remember from my early days dealing with PCI, and this, this phrase will stick in my mind forever, was the intent of the requirement was a mm -hmm. phrase that came up more times than I can remember. And I feel like 
well, that maybe shed the light on some initial issues, it also showed us that maybe there were things about, you know, the requirements, whether it's PCI or any other, that just mm-hmm. didn't really connect with kind of either business values or, you know, kind of things that, you know, ultimately the, the business saw, you know, a value in or could connect to their practices. And that's why they were almost kind of trying to reshape it. And we had QSAs in particular that I worked with anyway, who were very receptive to the idea of defining the intent of the requirement. So I'm kind of curious from your perspective, mm-hmm. you know, how do you, when you hear that sort of thing, I mean, is that something that you've dealt with? Is that something you agree with? Or is there something more we should be doing to kind of a, address the, the way that we can sell this to the business as a valuable well, thing. Well, um, I mean, I've certainly encountered it and lived it, and I, I, I usually characterize it as uh, not intent, but I say spirit of the requirement rather than letter of the law. Um, but that's one of the big things that I've, I think I've, you know, humbly have had some success at as a QSA over the years is, is helping organiz- organizations not only understand the intent, but understand the context. Uh, you know, in the early days of the PCI standard, I, I actually, uh, you won't find this online, but I have a hard copy of version 1.0 uh, of the PCI data security standard that I, 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 still use as a reference item. It was very terse. It's like, here's the requirement, do this, the little explanation. Now, over the years, they've learned to add more guidance, more context, more, uh, you know, they have a, a testing requirement, what the, what the QSA is supposed to do. Here's the requirement. Here's what the QSA is going to do to see if you're doing what the requirement says. And, and all of that helps. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and they've got other, you know, they've got FAQs, they've got all sorts of different guidance out there. Uh, they, every year they have uh, uh, special interest groups that get together, SIGs, and they focus on a topic and try to come up with, you know, sort of a deep dive best practice recommendations. But, um, but that's where I, uh, where I've, that's what I like to do is I like to explain to companies, this is what the thing means. You know, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example. You know, one of the ones that most of the people in the, like a tenable, when I went there, they're familiar with is there's a quarterly external vulnerability scanning requirement, and it has to be done by a certified independent organization. Well, you know, telling you to have a quarterly external vulnerability scan doesn't really say a whole lot. Uh, and then constituting what's a passing or failing scan, and PCI requires passing. What does that mean? What constitutes a pass or a fail? There's all sorts of nuance. Maybe this isn't a great example, but uh, you know, I mean, in version four, one of the things that's new about version four is they've they've the council has finally put out a table that clarifies what they mean by quarterly. Because uh, we've had, I don't know if you've experienced it, I've experienced it over the years. Well, does quarterly mean once within a quarter? So I could scan on January 1st and then again on June 30th, but I've got a scan in Q1 and a scan in Q2, Q2 but effectively you haven't scanned anything in six, you know, six months. Um, they've, they've tightened up the definitions to try to say, no, we really mean like once every 90 days at least. And of course, many organizations from an internal perspective, you know, scan daily, weekly, uh, sometimes hourly. Of 
course, the, the vendors these days have continuous scanning turned on. So, you know, technology has sort of evolved maybe a little bit uh, ahead of the requirement. But the intention is, and this is, I think, important. Most people think the intent of a vulnerability scan is to find vulnerabilities. And I say, no, that's not exactly. Yes, to some degree. But the vulnerability scan, the way it's placed in the middle of the PCI data security standard, which is all the way down in requirement 11, it's really supposed to be a safety net. It's, to it's supposed to make sure that all these other things that you're doing, hardening systems, configuring your systems, patching your systems, knowing what your systems are, keeping an inventory, checking network flow, access controls, file integrity monitoring, intrusion detection, all these other things. And then you do a vulnerability scan just as a safety check to see what's fallen through the cracks. That's, to me, what it's about. And maybe that's subjective, but that's the nuance that's more than just simply, you know, go find vulnerabilities. Now, extend that to pen testing and the annual pen testing requirement, and that's triggering. Maybe we shouldn't go there. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. Um, yeah, I, but you bring up, and that this is like a crucial point. And I love this because it is the truth, right? I mean, your, your vulnerability management in general really is meant to be a validation, or the, I should say, vulnerability scanning is meant to be a validation of what should be a comprehensive vulnerability management program that includes your patching program. Your, you mm -hmm. know, what are you doing within your 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 development pipelines, things like that that are meant to be keeping those vulnerabilities from ever showing up anywhere. And mm -hmm. the, the scanning, the pen testing, whatever it is, should be just your validation of that fact. So I'm, so gonna, I'm not saying you're wrong here, but I, I oh, do want to highlight wrong. something. No, it's yeah. not that you're wrong, but it's um, uh, maybe it's PCI that's wrong. PCI, I, I mentioned they have six goals mm -hmm. and 12 major requirements. One of the six goals is have a vulnerability management program. Within that thing that's labeled vulnerability management, there's two requirements, requirement five and requirement six. Requirement five is the antivirus, anti-malware requirement. Requirement six is the one that has patching, uh, change control management, secure application development. That's all under the umbrella in PCI terms of vulnerability management. The scanning comes several uh, goals later where it says monitor everything. Uh, paraphrasing, but you know, it's monitor your, your systems. And, and basically I usually say do all the security things. So vulnerability scanning in that context, while I said it's, it's a validation, it's not part of a vulnerability management program the way PCI lays it out. I'm not saying they're right, I'm not saying they're wrong, but it's a different way of looking at it and the argument I used to have with people at Tenable was, you might see it differently and you might consider your, your, your products to be vulnerability management tools, but you've got this large client base out there that's doing this because of PCI. You ought to at least learn their language and be able to yeah. you know, put what you're doing in terms of your capabilities with your products into the language that if you know either they understand or their QSAs understand so they can connect the dots and be compliant and get their box checked. And I don't work at Tenable anymore. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Neither does Jack, by the way, but that's a different story nope. for another time. Another time. Um, yep. But, it, you know, and, and you highlight, you know, something else that's kind of interesting, right? Like even right or wrong, whether our, you know, how I put it was right or the way PCI looks at it, it's right. I like the way they look at it because I do 
I appreciate that. And I think that that's kind of a key. And I know I'm sure you've probably encountered this too. When you try to get people in this industry to see beyond, right? To see beyond how we've talked about it for the last 30 years or these traditional viewpoints, it you actually get active blowback, or at least I do. And I'm curious, do you experience the same? And, and what are some of those things that like, if there was a message you could get people just to look at it differently or hear you on, I mean, what's out there? Um, uh, well, no, I don't think I get blowback the way you get blowback. <laughs> um, and, and maybe that's just cause I don't put myself out there in the same way that you do. Uh, maybe it's because I'm right and you're wrong. You know, there's any number of reasons. Uh, maybe my delivery is different. Um, uh, I think if there was something I wanted to convey to your fledgling burgeoning audience here and, and to try to address, you know, what you've described as the theme is, which I largely agree with. You know, how do you get the security message across to more and different, you know, within organizations as well as organizations in general? Um, the only pushback I would give to you, at least for now, I'm sure I can come up with more, is, uh, and it's subtle, uh, but cybersecurity, the people that do cybersecurity within an organization, uh, I think you would agree need to get over themselves. And I think you've said that, but part of that is also, uh, I guess, sort of trying to flip things around because the way you phrased it still makes it sound like cybersecurity is at the middle and you're trying to reach out and pull people into your way of seeing things, which again, I largely agree with, but if you're on the outside looking in, you're not going to hear that as well as uh, I think, uh, and this is, as much theory as anything, uh, trying to figure out a way to convey the message that we're trying to convey, but in a way that they're going to hear it and not make it sound like we're talking down to them or we're, you know, uh, simplifying things or, 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 you know, speak, you know, I, I joke all the time about if you want to talk to senior level management, you got to do it with small words and use a lot of pictures, that type of thing, which, you know, it's good for a laugh, but it uh, doesn't really help if you're if one of the people you're trying to communicate with is listening to me say this. And like, right. oh, is that what he's doing? Is that why the words are, you know, like I said, three letters, not much more than that. Um, it, but I, I have very often in my career described myself since I, I came from a technical background, did a lot of pen testing. I did other stuff besides pen testing at NSA, actually a certified cryptanalyst. Um, so I used to break codes as well as, uh, make codes, design systems. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I went away from that and started working with the, the rest of the people and organizations. And I, and I like to describe myself as being bilingual. I can, I can sit down with the, the techies and the developers and the admins and the hackers and all the cybersecurity people and talk shop with them and hang with them. I don't do it mostly anymore. But I can hang with them in the conversation. Uh, I can dazzle with dazzle them with my knowledge of crypto. Um, but I can also turn around and, and talk to the accounting office, the finance office, the lawyers, uh, the, the you know senior levels of management, management of all levels, uh, operations. You know, I, I go into lots of different types of companies. Uh, you know, PCI isn't just 
stores, uh, retailers. It's just about everybody does PCI. Um, and, and I have the ability to speak in the language of whoever I'm talking to. And that's something that I've tried to, in the last couple of years, as I've become, you know, sort of publicly known, I've tried to convey that as much as anything is, is uh, I call it the art of the Jedi mind trick, but learning how to communicate the, this message to others uh, in a way that they'll actually hear and, and actually, you're really trying to elicit response. You know, that's what all of us are trying to do. We're, we're either trying to get our management to spend more money or change their ways or, or the organization in general to do something different, but it's, it's persuasive speech when you get right yep. down to it. And, uh, there's, there's tips and techniques and, 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 and methods that are, are, uh, more successful than not. And, uh, and there isn't one size fits all, you know, where I am probably, I'm not expert. I'm just more experienced. I've done a lot of practicing because I meet lots of different people and I have to adapt the message to them based on what I'm learning from them and reading from them. In fact, one of the most important uh, points uh, or elements of effective communicating, I believe, is listening active listening and, and and listening involves more than just hearing it's watching you know of course i'm i'm old where i actually used to talk to people in person um i'm still trying to figure out how to translate active listening into social media and there's this whole language of emoticons and emojis and anything and i don't know if i'll ever get there um uh, but, you know, people will say, you know, and they'll rattle off three or four different emoticons and that's supposed to mean something. I, I don't get that. But uh, what I do get is learning how to read people. And and yeah. and I just have lots and lots of different types of methods and and try one works great. Move on. Doesn't work. Try something else. Doesn't work. Try something else. Doesn't work. Try something else. Um, a simple example I give that most people can relate to is uh, we've probably all done this. If you ever meet someone that's deaf, do you have a tendency to talk louder in trying to communicate with them? Uh, or someone that speaks in a foreign language, they don't understand English. We happen to be speaking English. Do, do you tend to talk or have you heard somebody talk louder and slower? And like if I hear somebody speaking, let's say Russian, I don't speak Russian. They can speak as loudly and slowly as they want to. I'm not going to understand a word they're saying. No, not at all. I've got to. I've got to find out another way to communicate. Anyway, so that that's. I don't know if I've answered your question. I probably no. It's, it, it's totally legit, right? I mean, and that's the thing when we talk about even the, the whole bridges concept, which I mean, you know, selfishly is because that's how I look at my role, and it's a mm. lot of what you described. Right. You know, how do I, you know, connect? with those people who aren't a part of security, who, you know, are the reason that I even exist in this role, right? right. I mean, if it wasn't for them, they're, they're the thing that matters. And this is where I, I really wish we could get people in security to understand, like, look, even just take the risk conversation for a minute, right? You think about risk. We always, CISOs love to talk about risk. Oh, I enable the business because I reduce risk. And we talk about you know, cybersecurity risk is this one little brick in this great big wall of risk that your, your organizational leaders, your CEOs, your COOs, your CFOs are looking at, right. and we like, to your point, seem to think we're like the center of that universe, especially now that we're getting some more, 
you know, understanding from boards and such. So yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you on that. Well, let's, 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 let's riff on that a little bit and take yeah. that as an example. Risk. We all like, oh yeah, we, we understand risk. We know what risk is. Ask somebody to define risk sometime. At, you know, next time you're out at a hacker conference or gathering, just ask them, well, what does that word actually topic. mean? And, and just, and just watch it unfold. But, uh, to the degree that you're trying to speak to management and and uh, you know C-level people and organizations, to the degree that they understand risk, I will tell you they're understanding risk from a financial perspective because that's where the term originally came from, at least in the private sector, in the commercial world. And it, it, it's been, I'm not saying risk wasn't a thing 30, 40 years ago, but it wasn't a thing in our marketing uh, of, of security because we didn't do any marketing back then. We were a one-stop shop. But it's something that's morphed into this business. And you know, I learned risk equations when I was working at the three-letter agency. Uh, in fact, I was, I was learning risk equations before I started breaking into computers and networks. So that was something that was part of, uh, I worked for an, an organization that did evaluations of our own stuff. It was called fielded systems evaluations. And it was based on somebody had the recognition, wow, we very often NSA breaks the other guy's stuff because the other guy isn't using it correctly. They don't change default settings or default passwords. Uh, key that's only supposed to be used one time or maybe for a week, they use it for a week or a month. And, and that introduces cryptographic vulnerabilities that makes it subject to compromise. But object misuse, uh, uh, finding bypasses and shortcuts, not following the instructions, all this stuff that is not an issue in today's cybersecurity world at all. Um, but, uh, uh, so, but, but I'm talking about risk. Uh, risk is a financial thing. We need to speak to it and understand it, not from our understanding of risk, but from their understanding of risk. And what I often do, what has worked for me in most cases, is to just try to simplify things and boil it down. If you Google a risk equation, you'll get hundreds, if not thousands, of very complicated algorithms and lots of math that I don't yeah. understand. Um, but I will posit this. Uh, in the broadest sense, there's only two risks in a private sector commercial for-profit organization. One is the risk of the ability to earn revenue. And two, the risk of how much is it going to cost to do the things that we need to do. So it's, you know, it's, it's, and that's a simple balance sheet, right? You know, assets and liabilities. But the bottom line is how does this impact our ability to make money? So are we going to stop being able to make money or are you going to slow us down or how much is it going to cost to do the things that enable us to maintain our revenue stream? That's really all there is. So try putting all your conversations about cybersecurity risk in the context of does this hinder our ability to make money and how much does it cost and, and see if maybe management doesn't sit up a little bit more. Okay. Now you're talking something I understand dollars and cents. Yeah. Just, an, show just an idea. Yeah. Hey, cybersecurity is going to save you money tangibly, right? I mean, I, I think we suffer there too. Sometimes that's a really long. No, I idea. didn't say no, ROI. <laughs> I, I know, I know. The other one, but here's the thing. If you can show them how cybersecurity will actually help them make money, that's the effective one, right? Because Or that's not lose money. 
Not right, but my is, point is not lose money is that one. It's hard to quantify, even if you yeah. have like all the risk equations in the world, because you're, you're you're saying, hey, my return on investment is making something not happen, right? Versus dirty hey, little secret. You can pay a thousand dollars for a pen test or a hundred thousand dollars for a pen test and get hacked the next day. Shh. Exactly. Because <laughs> that's the nature of the business. And and that's that's why I'm always it's like, how do we talk about if I'm gonna say I'm an enable or of the I'm the enabler of the business from security? It, it's gotta be something more than hey, you know that stuff you've already done a risk evaluation on, you've already invested. Yeah, I'm gonna reduce the risk of that. Well we're already down that road. We've already accepted that risk. Right. So what are you going to do that's going to be meaningful to me? Well, hey, I'm going to you know, open up a new revenue stream or you know, give you a new market that you can evolve into. That's the stuff that's going to get, oh, hey, wait, what are you talking about now at the board level, right? <laughs> I think maybe people go into it thinking that they're trying to be enablers and they, ended up, they end up being codependent. Just <laughs> That is absolutely the perfect way to put it. And unfortunately, I think I'm going to end on that is because it is so perfect. Um, because, I mean, we're at time. In fact, we're I, out of time. Not, <laughs> Sorry. Not surprisingly, I feel like we could go on for, for hours on this. And we probably will at some point. I'm sure we'll meet up at some conference and probably sure. revisit some of this. And you'll, you'll tell me how insane I am. And I'll say, no, Jeff, <laughs> you're wrong. But, you know, that's all right. Um, but we got to go for now. So thank you again so much. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, Frank, I'm sorry. I did see you had a question there. We didn't get to it. Hopefully, you know, we can kind of connect, uh, you know, we can talk about it later, put it up on Twitter. Jeff will yeah, I'll answer on Twitter. So Easy. we'll take care of you. But, uh, so to everybody else out there, and including Frank, too. I shouldn't make it sound like I don't include Frank. Thank you for tuning in. Um, it's great to see all of you online again, checking us out. Uh, remember, you know, every week we go to podcast format a couple days later. Uh, some new exciting news for you this week. We are now available on Apple Podcasts. So if you are the user of one of those crazy iOS devices and you like Apple Podcasts, you'll find us there now. Uh, the first four episodes are there. This one will be up probably Friday or Saturday. So you can check it out. And, you know, we'll be right back here. We've got exciting guests coming up. I'm not going to tell you who next week is just yet. But we've got a really cool one coming up. Um, so we're going we're to talk to someone from the vendor side next week. So, I know. I know. But it'll be good. I trust him. He's good and, you, and you can find me at Paul Security Weekly at securityweekly.com. Yes, absolutely. I've actually been on that show once. One time. It was fun. So, all, right. all right. Well, thanks, everybody, for checking out Securing Bridges. And uh, we'll see you again next week. We'll be right back here. Thanks, Jeff. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Securing Bridges podcast with Alyssa Miller. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSBMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.